Welcome to the sermon podcast of Northridge Presbyterian Church in Dallas, Texas. I'm Betsy Sweetenberg, the pastor here, and I hope that in this podcast, you see what we seek to do week after week, approaching the stories of our faith with a holy curiosity, not shutting the book because the stories are hard or there are truths we'd rather ignore. Instead, approaching scripture, trusting that God will meet us there, full of grace and truth, teaching us something new about how we are to live in this world God so loves. Last week, we started our conversation about forgiveness with the attempt to define forgiveness, and I invited you to reach out to me with your own definitions or questions, and I did hear from a number of people this week, and I'm so grateful. And the conversations that I had over the course of the week with some of you get at uh, just how complicated this topic of forgiveness is. For instance, someone came to my office and said, I revisited what you preached on last week, and it seems like all those instructions are about uh, people you really don't like, your enemies. But how do you forgive someone you love? And then somebody else shared that they can't think about forgiveness without instantly going to really bad things that seem almost unforgivable, like war crimes and torture and genocide. And another person still said, well, are we going to talk about forgiving ourselves in the next few weeks? And I think the range of these responses to last week's sermon get at just how messy this topic of forgiveness can be. Because it doesn't mean just one thing, it inevitably touches all parts of our lives, and it's you may have found once you start talking about forgiveness, it just gets tangled with so many other things. And I think that our story today gets at just how tangled forgiveness can be. We're going to read a story from the Gospel of John. It is the eighth chapter, verses 1 through 11. I'm actually going to tell you the story. So if you are someone who follows along, um, I'm going to invite you to shut your Bible and maybe come back to it later in the week. And when you do come back to the scripture, you will see that it is titled, The Woman Caught in Adultery. That's an unfortunate title, and I think it's a little bit misleading because it is a story about so much more than this woman. It is a story about law and order. It is the story about using this woman as collateral in a plot to trick and trap Jesus. It's a story of two people breaking their marriage vows. It's the story of Jesus stopping a public execution. It is a story about sin, and it is a story about forgiveness. But before we get to these words, let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. With your life-giving word, breathe life into each of us. Come, Holy Spirit. For if you are with us, then nothing else matters. And if you are not with us, then nothing else matters. Be with us, we pray. In the name of your beloved. Amen. This is a story that begins with an argument, as so many stories do. 
Jesus is on the move. He is healing and teaching and praying and preaching, and crowds are flocking to him. They are so excited to hear what he has to say. They are excited to see what he's going to do um, when people show up. And crowds keep coming. They want to follow him. And as they watch what he does, as they listen to what he says, they start asking themselves, is this the Messiah? Could this be the person that we are waiting on? And so the townspeople start having these conversations, and eventually the leaders in the city get word that people think that the Messiah has come, and so they're feeling really threatened. So the Pharisees decide that the best way to deal with this conversation would be to arrest Jesus, to lock him up so that he has to stop preaching and praying and teaching and healing. And they think if they lock him up, then soon enough the townspeople will forget about him. They'll forget about all of his signs and people will stop asking the question about whether or not he's the Messiah. So the Pharisees and the scribes, they go and they find the policemen and they give the policemen their marching orders. Lock him up, they say. We want him thrown in prison. So the dutiful policemen leave with their marching orders and they go off to find Jesus. Well, they find Jesus and he's teaching a Bible study. And they decide that they don't want to interrupt the Bible study. So they sit down and listen, thinking that they'll be nice and let him finish, and then they'll arrest him when the Bible study is finished. But they start to listen, and they become captivated with the way that he teaches scripture. And so the Bible study finishes, and they just can't bring themselves to arrest Jesus. They've never heard anyone teach like him, and the policemen look at each other and they say, you know, he hasn't really done anything to break the law. We can't arrest him. So they leave. Well, the next day, the Pharisees who'd put out the arrest warrant, they get to work. And they see that the inmate count has not increased as they thought it would. And so they are pissed. They storm down the hall. They find the police officers. And they say, where is he? You had one job. What happened? And the policemen are still talking about Jesus. They are captivated by what they've heard him say. And they say to the Pharisees, we've never heard anyone teach like that. You've got to go to one of his Bible studies. Well, the Pharisees say, great. You've fallen victim to his deception too. I thought you were better than that. We're just going to have to take this into our own hands. And so the scribes and the Pharisees leave the policemen, they go off down the hall, and they lock themselves in the conference room where they decide that they are going to come up with a foolproof plan to arrest Jesus for cause. And so after they wrestle with a lot of ideas, they finally decide on the perfect plot. If they can find someone who has broken a law that is punishable by death, then they will bring this person in front of Jesus and they'll ask Jesus, what should we do? This person has broken a law which says that we should punish with death. Now, if Jesus responds mercifully and says that the person should be punished in a way other than death, he will be violating the law of Moses. 
Well, that is an offense that they can arrest him for. But if Jesus obeys the law and says, you know, this is an offense punishable by death, then the crowds will see that he cannot practice the mercy that he has been preaching and teaching about. So for the Pharisees, it seems like a foolproof plan. Either Jesus gets arrested or he gets exposed. So they win either way. They keep their power. And so they decide this is what they're going to do. It's the perfect plan. So they set out to hunt down someone who has violated a law punishable by death. Now they must have had a tip because they find a woman who is in the very act of committing adultery. And I'm just going to assume they didn't find her in the town square. They find this woman in the act, which means they also found a man in the act of committing adultery. You know, the title of our scripture leaves that part out. You'd think that the scribes and the Pharisees would get really excited because they didn't find one person violating the law. They found two people violating the law. So it's kind of like an insurance policy for this plan because instead of just bringing one person in front of Jesus and asking about punishment, they could bring two. And surely Jesus couldn't deny the law of Moses twice. And the law of Moses is very clear, by the way, that both offenders should be put to death, not just the woman. But I think the scribes and the Pharisees had played out the scenario in their head, and they'd gotten it in their head that they just needed to bring one person. So for whatever reason, they leave the man alone. We have no idea whether he ran out the side or if one of the Pharisees was a friend of his and ushered him out so that he could avoid public humiliation. Whatever the reason, he gets to leave. The woman, though, is not so lucky. She gets pulled from bed, doesn't even get the chance to put her clothes back on or tie her robe. They just grab her by the arm and drag her all the way across town to get to Jesus, who's in the temple leading a Bible study. Now the crowds had flocked to him, as they do, and he was seated in the middle of the crowd. So he hears these heavy feet of the Pharisees as they stomp, and they, he hears kind of faint cries of the woman who's being dragged, and so he stands to see what's going on. And just as he stands up, the Pharisees cut through the crowd, and they come and they just drop the woman at his feet, and they look at Jesus and they say, teacher, we caught this woman in the very act of committing adultery. And you know the law says she should be stoned. But what do you say? Well, the crowd gasped and waited, surely some of them buckling their seatbelts for what was about to become so it seemed the most action-packed Bible study they would ever attend. The scribes and the Pharisees, well, they were ready. They had stones in hand. They were ready to enact the law. Jesus just stands there. He looks at the woman, and he looks at the Pharisees, and he points his finger, but instead of wagging it at the woman and saying, you should know better, Instead of wagging it at the Pharisees saying, you should know better, you know the law talks about punishing more than the woman. 
Instead of doing either of those things, he drops to his knees and he begins writing something in the sand. And we have no idea what he was writing. Maybe a list of names. Maybe a list of sins. Maybe a verse of a psalm about how God is slow to anger. Maybe he was doodling. One pastor told this uh, story during a children's time and asked the children what they thought Jesus was writing. And a little boy raised his hand and said, I know. He was writing, hey, lady, if this doesn't work, run. <laughs> but he stayed on the ground doodling for some time and there's silence. I can only imagine the thoughts going through the minds of everyone there that day. Jesus probably thinking to himself, of all the ways for my ministry to end, I never imagined it would be because a naked woman was paraded into a Bible study. The Pharisees, feeling self-righteous and prematurely excited to go back to the policemen and say, we did the job, you couldn't. We locked him up. The scribes a little embarrassed that Jesus was able to so quickly call out their cherry-picking of the law. The woman probably bouncing between thoughts of, am I about to die? To, how did it get to this point? Without me even recognizing how unhappy I was in my marriage. Then to wondering, if the man would ever admit that he committed adultery too. A little child holding her mother's hand for dear life, wondering if stuff like this always happens at Bible study or if today was especially exceptional. The young man who is a child of divorced parents and can't help but wonder if there are children involved. A grandmother at the back of a crowd who's lived by the rules every single day of her life and can't help but hope that there are repercuss repercussions for these actions. Because why has, should she have worked so hard to uphold the law if it could be so easily disregarded? And a man who had an affair years ago but ended it, all of a sudden wondering whether he should go home and talk to his wife. Who knows what other thoughts bubbled up in that silence, but we know that eventually the silence was too much to bear for the Pharisees. They'd already played out this scenario in their minds hundreds of times, and they wanted the ending that they'd imagined for this confrontation. And so they speak up, peppering Jesus with questions until finally Jesus stands up from the ground and he says, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And then Jesus kneels again and gets back to doodling, and the Pharisees are left to stare at this woman they dragged across town. Maybe it's the first time that they're actually making eye contact with her. And then left to look in the faces of all those in the crowd as they wondered, who among us is without sin? Before the silence could get awkward this time, the crowd started to leave, one by one by one. 
first the elders, who'd lived long enough to be free from the illusion that they were without sin. And then the rest of the crowd started to leave until eventually the scribes and the Pharisees left too. And then when Jesus finally stood up from the sand, there was no one left but the woman. And so he looks at her in the eye and says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. And Jesus, the only one without sin, the only one by his criteria who could have cast a stone says, nor do I condemn you. Go your way. And from now on, sin no more. The woman walked away thinking probably the same thing that the Pharisees and the scribes and the townspeople walked away thinking too. How anticlimactic. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What I love about this story is that there's space for all of us. We've been the woman confronted with the consequence of our actions. We've been the Pharisees trying to trick people we want to condemn. We've been the townspeople eagerly staring at the pain of another. And what's remarkable is that no matter where we stand in this story, the instinct is the same. Watching things play out as a way to confirm that the ending we've already written and rehearsed in our minds is what actually happens. What makes forgiveness so hard is the human propensity to write our own stories and to commit ourselves fully to the stories that we have written and rehearsed. Sometimes that means that we write stories of forgiveness that are so grand that we set ourselves up to feel deflated when anything less than that plays out. Sometimes we write forgiveness out of the story altogether, deeming it too far-fetched to be possible. Sometimes we get so fixated on forgiving others or being forgiven by others that we neglect the necessity of our own forgiveness. Can you imagine how unsatisfactory the silence must have been that day? The Pharisees, the scribes, the townspeople, the woman. I can't imagine that anyone who had prematurely played out the ending of that confrontation imagined silence. And yet it's in the silence that forgiveness takes root. When Jesus bends down and surprises everyone with an action that they couldn't have scripted in their mind's eye, he gives them an opportunity to see the situation and to see themselves differently. It was an interruption they couldn't anticipate, as grace so often is. And his words to the woman are another version of the same invitation. Go on your way and sin no more, Jesus says to her. He doesn't wallow in her past. He doesn't say you are forgiven. He doesn't say you can forgive yourself. You can't impose forgiveness on another, just like you can't demand forgiveness from another. But instead, with his words, he offers the woman the same space that he'd offered the Pharisees with silence. 
he offers her the chance to see herself and her future differently by saying, essentially, you can stop now. You don't have to live this way. Opening our hearts to a different ending, that's how forgiveness begins, whether it is forgiving others or forgiving ourselves. I think, unfortunately, it's also the hardest part of forgiveness. We cannot forgive without releasing ourselves from the longing to have a better past. And that means letting go of the illusion that the pencil we hold has the power to write the final ending of our stories. Now, the grace that Jesus offers is the assurance that God cares about the days ahead of us just as much as God cares about the days behind us. Go on your way into a future that isn't poisoned by your past, Jesus says. Go and sin no more. Go because God is invested in the days ahead of you. Those words were for the woman, but they are for us too. Go into your future, trusting that God cares about it just as much as God cares about your past. I wonder where God is inviting you to be released from your past. Released from the desire for things to have played out another way? Released from the illusion that you get to decide how your story ends? Where is God saying to you, you can stop now? You don't have to live this way. Go on your way into a future filled with grace, trusting that that invitation that Jesus offered the woman is for you too. Go on your way and sin no more. Amen. Go out into God's world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Return to no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. Honor all persons. Love and serve the Lord rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the power of the Spirit bless you and keep you this day, and always, always. Amen.